you have your Bibles and would turn with me in them to the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis as we consider the very beginning of this cosmic battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and how that then comes out into the civilization of the world in which we live. We are to be in the world but not of the world and hoping that we can express a little bit of the nature of that here this morning. I'll begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 4 through chapter 5, verse 3. Now hear the word of the Lord. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock, of his flock in their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which hath opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of that city after his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod begot Mehujael, and Mehujael begot Meshushael, Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. And Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Adah bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Then Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. 
And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God had appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man and made him in the likeness of God, he created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Our gracious Father, we ask that you would send your spirit upon the preaching of your word now to open our hearts that we might have attentive ears, that we would listen in faith, that you would take command of our minds and still the distractions, that we can receive that which you would have for us to hear, that you would produce the fruit in our lives that would yield itself into a joyful life of repentance and, and following Christ in all of His ways, obeying God in all of Your will, and yielding ourselves to be agents of Your providence in a willing and joyful capacity. And Lord, we ask that where we are not squared up with the Word this morning, that You would reveal the intent of our hearts and that You would use the preaching of the Word to convict us and to bring us into the path of righteousness for the sake of your Son, our only Lord, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This was a rather long passage to read, but I think it's important for us to keep that entire context in mind because the passage shows us how an entire civilization was developed, a civilization that stands opposed to God. It was a civilization, and it is a world today, of pride, of place, and of position. It developed in the heart of one man who would not, not submit himself to God. And then so Cain becomes the father of a revolting civilization. And this is the emergence of the world system that John has warned us not to love. Because if we love this world and its system, the love of the Father is not in us. And he's referring to that system of the world that stands against God that has its inception here in the development of the civilization. This fallen world and this civilization with its various institutions, its nations and kingdoms, its policies and science, its entertainment, arts, and the principles that are operating under the government of Satan are a part of the system that stands against the kingdom of God and the seed of the woman. We have in Genesis 4 the beginning of a warfare between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and the conflict begins with two brothers. But the conflict that began between two brothers would grow and develop into a civilization which is at enmity with God after the character of Cain. The Bible speaks about going the way of Cain. 
And this is instructive to us regarding the nature of the very conflict between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. The very nature of how we are to engage in the battle for which God has left us here to do. The seed of the woman establishes a very powerful kingdom here on earth. And it's a kingdom whose nature is spiritual. The kingdom of Jesus overthrows all the other earthly kingdoms from Babylon to the Medes and the Persians to the Greeks to the Roman Empire. These were the four major kingdoms that would come from Daniel's day onward to the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. And the one when Jesus would come, he would be the everlasting kingdom and set up his kingdom here upon the earth of which no other kingdom would overcome. And so we have an everlasting kingdom made to us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and why the everlasting aspect of that can never be overthrown, we now engage in the warfare according to the likeness and character of Jesus. But how we understand the spiritual nature of this kingdom on the earth has everything to do with how we live, the choices we make, the indoctrination we receive, the books we read, the news we believe, the entertainment we watch, the science we believe, the way we think, even the way we think about and engage in politics. Genesis 4 shows us the beginning of this warfare between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And the beginning of the chapter introduces us to two brothers who each represent the seeds one of the seed of the woman, and one of the other the seed of the serpent. They're representative. And the focus here on this chapter is upon Cain and the subsequent chapters here. We're going to see the development of the seed of the serpent. Because Cain became the father of a fallen civilization and, and is a representative of the fallen world in which we now live. And what started in the heart of a single individual grew into an entire civilization with the same kind of character as its founder. So let us look at what makes up this fallen civilization and conflict with God. First of all, as we see in the scripture from the first part of that chapter, those of the world may acknowledge God, they even may try to worship him, but they do not submit to him or acknowledge their need of him. As we find and see when Cain and Abel were born, the first acts that we see them doing are bringing their worship to God in offerings that they brought to present to him. We see that God accepted the offering of Cain, but he did not accept uh, he, he accepted the offer of Abel, but he did not accept Cain or his offering. And so that is really what began the conflict. Both of these boys were from the same family. Both were born outside of Eden. Both were by nature children of God's wrath, and both stood in great need of a Savior. Both are inherently religious. But each of them are on opposite sides of the spiritual warfare. Each of them represent now the class of the people that would then engage in this 
cosmic battle here upon the earth. And the one thing that distinguishes the one from the other is their attitude and their spirit toward God, which moved Abel to offer an acceptable offering and Cain an unacceptable offering. God accepts Abel, but rejects Cain. The text reveals to us why. From the previous chapter, we see when Adam and Eve tried to cover up their sin and tried to hide themselves from God and covering up their nakedness with fig leaves, it was an unacceptable clothing to their shame. So God himself would then provide skins from animals, animals which required a blood sacrifice in order to clothe them. This was a clothing that was provided by God for the sinner, and it was done God's way. And the only way to approach God is with suitable clothing. The clothing that God himself supplies because the wages of sin is death. And therefore, the only way to approach God is through the death of a substitute. Man must have a substitute between him and God's wrath. And that's what those animal skins provided. And all of this pointed forward to Jesus, God's own son, who would take our sins upon him. He would die upon the cross under God's wrath as our substitute. And then he would clothe us in his righteousness, whereby we are accepted before God. And so as we come before God, we come clothed in the garment that Christ himself has given to us through the shedding of his own blood. It is the garment of righteousness by which we enter into the presence of God, bringing him worship that is acceptable. You see, all of this requires approaching God, even worshiping God, God's way, with a substitute between us, with proper clothing by the shedding of blood. And all of this would have been made very clear to Cain and Abel. Each one of them knew exactly what God required of them. We know in Hebrews 11 that Abel presented his offering to God in faith, and therefore his his offering was acceptable to God because he believed in that which he came to sacrifice. Now Cain, however, didn't follow God's instructions, and he tried to get God to accept him on the ground of his own personal worthiness. And this is how a whole civilization was then developed around that same concept. We've seen Cain's reaction to God. Cain was a proud man. He was proud of his accomplishments. He was proud of his worthiness. But Jude 11 tells us, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. Those who have gone the way of Cain are marked with a self-centered pride, a sense of worthiness, doing things their own way. They're proud of their accomplishments. They're autonomous. They're individualist. They reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries, as Jude 1.8 tells us. Because Cain despised God himself, it's not unlike those of the way of the Cain to despise authority over them. They are rebellious, like Korah, 
the scripture says. They are self-centered and greedy like Balaam, Jude says. He even speaks there, he says, these are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, Jude says. So Cain is representative of all of those who pride themselves in their own strength, their own accomplishments, their own abilities in order to please God. And it was expected in a sense that God would be pleased with them. And there's an attitude with this that when verse 5 tells us that when God rejected Cain and his offering, Cain became very angry. And his countenance fell and became depressed. Cain was angry with God for not accepting him in a sacrifice. How dare you not accept my sacrifice? You can see the spirit of pride in this. There's an attitude of entitlement, of presumption, of feeling one's own worthiness before God, that God should accept him. And when he didn't, it angered him. By contrast, then Abel offered his offering in faith, trusting in God's ways, yielding himself to the ways of God, submitting himself. Abel respected God. He humbled himself before God. He obeyed God's will. He did it God's way. He had God's method, and he received God's provision. Being completely dependent upon God, nothing in his hand he brings, only to Christ's cross he clings, as the hymn writer would say. Now, as we see in the, in the progression of the text here, in verses 6 and 7, we see God is very merciful and good to those even in the world system because it is out of this world that he saves some in his kingdom. And so in verse 6 and 7, it says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, this is of mercy to God at this point. He is approaching Cain, and he's correcting him, telling him what the correct action should be, and tells him the remedy for his problems. And we even see today that God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. God is merciful as he appeals to Cain here. But he asks him two questions in verse 6. Why are you angry? And why is your countenance falling? Cain, why are you depressed? He's appealing to Cain that Cain is actually the source of his own problems. Cain took his anger and directed it toward God, but God is saying there's no reason for that. There's no excuse to be angry, Cain. There's no reason to be depressed about this. Cain, you knew what to do, and just go and do what's right, and it will be well with you. Now, this is a classic situation of which we are all familiar with, even in our own experience. See, we've all come out of the world of Cain. We all can recognize 
even in all of his characteristics, something that's true in each one of us. But this is a classic situation where one person faults God for the consequences that he's suffering, where those consequences are actually due to his own doing. Going the way of Cain is creating your own problems by going your own individualistic way and then blaming others for the outcome that you don't like or for the consequences of those errant behaviors. And we've all done this. This is the nature of the old man. So the next time you mess something up and you're tempted to shift the blame towards somebody else or even God, you need to humble yourself and own it and listen to God's remedy, which he says in verse 7, if you do well, it will go well for you. But if you don't do well, sin lies at the door and it's ready to pounce on you. So he follows this up with a, an appeal to Cain to correct this. God puts the responsibility clearly on the shoulders of Cain. If you do well, and if you do not do well, therefore. Now this implies that Cain had some knowledge of what it is to do well and what it was not to do well. It was up to him. Doing well would, would consist of repenting of his sins, of coming before God humbly, of confessing his fallenness, confessing is saying the same thing that God says about your sin, and you are to say the same thing about it as well. Confess it. Come with this right attitude of humility. But Cain's anger issue and his fallen countenance was his problem, and he needed to deal with that. He needed to repent, both of which could be remedied if he would do right. This is an appeal that God is giving to Cain as well as all. Do right, repent, and trust Christ. Now the imagery of this verse, which is not an easy verse to understand, it is this idea of sin that lies at the door. It's an image of a wildcat like a tiger or a lion or a cougar who has creeping up behind its prey, down in the tall grass, and it gets very close within distance to pounce, and it there lies. And it's within the, the realm of where one single leap will pounce upon his prey to destroy it. And that's where Cain is. And that is where sin is. It had crept upon him, and now it is lying in wait, and that's the imagery that this verse is giving. Sin, if you don't do well, sin is already crouching down. It's ready to pounce on you as a tiger would its prey. And if you do not do well, it will kill you. It will destroy you. But you must master it. Now there's hope in this verse. Because he still has an opportunity to do right. And while he still has life and breath, there's time to address this issue that God appeals to. But there's also a warning here. If you harden your heart and you do not do well, sin is ready for its final pounce. 
You are sin's prey, and sin is ready to pounce on you. If you do not master it, it will master you. And, and that same comment that God is giving to Cain is something that we all need to take heed to. As Pastor Keith prayed that we would not let the sun go down upon our wrath, that we would keep short accounts with each other so that we do not give place to the devil. And that's exactly how this happens when we, when we don't keep short accounts and bitterness comes into our heart and, and we become angry and we hold on to these offenses and we don't get it settled. Satan gets his foot in the door. And once he has his foot in the door, it's not much for him to push it wide open. And he's internally in your life and in your mind and in, in oppressing. And he continues to take you down until you are broken and repent of your sins. Some people never recover, as we see Cain did not. The only way that you can rule over sin in your life is, is through what God offers in his grace to the humble, you must humble yourself with a broken heart and repent of your sin and do it God's way and receive his grace for it. And it will go well for you. Now, there's a principle here that we see fleshed out throughout the pages of Scripture. When someone rejects God's appeal to them, their hearts will harden. As I've said before, the gospel never leaves a man where it finds him. It will either soften him toward it or it will harden him against it, but it will never leave a man where it finds him. And this is what happened to Cain. He hardened his heart. He did not listen to God. He did not receive his instruction. He had rejected it one time, and now he steals himself in that fixedness against God, and he rejects God's mercy. The only remedy for Cain at this point was for that hard heart to be broken. Something, unfortunately, Cain never came to. So what happens is he's angry at God. He's depressed. He's down. And, and in verse 8 tells us what happened. It says that Cain talked with Abel's brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up and he killed his brother Abel. Cain had a problem that consumed him emotionally. He never dealt with his anger against God. But in order to vent it, he unleashed it upon Abel. And when we do not deal with sin in our lives, sin will escalate in our lives. And each time it escalates, it becomes more difficult to master. That should be a warning for us all. The Apostle Paul spoke about the same kind of thing when he says that the people, <clears throat> some of them have their conscience seared as with a hot iron because they did not deal with sin in their life. Sin escalated. And when it escalates, you become hardened to it and you are not as aware of it. And you then begin living in a context that you cannot see it. Your pride covers it up and you get harder in this position. Paul says of some of these whose conscience have been seared, they will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. And we see this is the pattern that escalated in Cain. 
And this is the way that the sins of people harden their own hearts against God. When we read of people's hearts getting hard toward God, it is their own doing. When we read of Pharaoh hardening his heart, we also read of God hardening his heart. But the only way that God needs to harden Pharaoh's heart is just let Pharaoh alone in his sin because it is the natural tendency and bent that we have in our fallenness. We will harden our hearts unless God intercedes. Now keep in mind where all of this is going, it's heading toward an entire civilization that goes in the way of Cain. A civilization that is inherently angry with God. One that takes its anger out on righteous people here. If the world hates you, do not be surprised, for it crucified your Savior. And he had no fault in him. He was perfectly righteous, and there was no reason to find anything in him, but they took out their vengeance upon him because it was the seed of the serpent that was behind it all. And so don't be surprised when others take out their anger on righteous people here, people who have done no wrong, People who haven't done anything worthy of conflict, if you are living faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ, living a quiet and peaceable life as we are called to do, do not be surprised that the conflict comes with vehemence. John says that Cain was of the serpent, uh, the seed of the serpent. He rose up and killed his brother Abel because Abel's works were righteous. John gives us the reason. It's a reason because Cain represented the righteous character of God. And this was an anger that Cain was lashing out against God himself. So we should not be surprised when some people are angry with us without a cause. You should not be surprised when you are unjustly accused. People are really angry with God in their unbelief hardened in their rebellion, and they want an outlet for this. And so they take it out on those who represent God's perspectives. This is the world that hates you. And that's why John says, do not love this world. is isn't an antithesis with you. Its characteristic is completely different than what I have made you to be, Jesus says. If you have the character of sin in you, the character of the seed of Christ is not in you. These two are in conflict. If there is darkness in your soul, there is not light. Light and darkness cannot cohabit together. Light drives out the darkness. Therefore, you cannot entertain God and Baal. You cannot have light with darkness. You cannot serve God and your own flesh. This is the conflict between the seeds that goes on within our own hearts and it goes on with our humanity as well. Now the characteristics of this hard heart can be seen in the next few verses from chapter or verse 9 through 14. And I want to give you at least three characteristics that we see in the way of Cain that then establishes an entire fallen world. The first we find in verse 9. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And Cain says, I do not know. The way of Cain, first of all, the first characteristic of the way of Cain, the way of this world, and the way that is contrary and in conflict with God is lying. I do not know. Now, he might have hedged at the moment. He might have thought, well, I I really, this very moment, I specifically do not know where he is. Right? You, you know how this goes. It's kind of like Abraham. Well, she kind of is my sister. I didn't tell you she was my wife. So what, what is untrue or what is not fully true and misleading, what is not completely honest is a lie. That is the way of Cain. That is the way of the devil. In John chapter 8 we read more of this expression. Jesus is telling the Pharisees about the truth. And he's saying, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And they began to see the conflict and they rose up against Jesus and the truth. And they began to argue with Jesus about the truth. Even for a need that they needed to be free. But Jesus knew that the Pharisees were trying to kill him. This is the way of Cain. And he says to them in the 44th verse, you are of your father, the devil. In other words, they are the seed of the serpent. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so we see the character, the seed of the serpent, following the same pattern. He's angry at God. He rebels against God. He kills his brother, and then he lies about it. The spirit of anger against God follows by hurting other people, which is followed by lies. This is the characteristic of the seed of the serpent. The second characteristic we see in Cain's disrespectful attitude. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Imagine that. God comes to you and he asks you a question. He says, am I my brother's keeper? It's disrespectful. It's dishonorable. It's flippant with God. And, you know, perhaps there's some truth in it. Perhaps you could parse it all out in terms of, of exactly You know, is he his brother's keeper? Well, technically not. It's not that which was being communicated. It was an attitude in the spirit that here is at note. Now, here we need to understand something very important. It is not only actions that can be sinful, but attitudes can be sinful. Parents know about this when you're raising your children. It's not only what they do on the letter of the law, it's the spirit in which they do it that can also be held accountable. Now with Cain, it's not just what he said, but it's the way he said it. Do you know that they say that our nonverbal speech, that over 50% of our nonverbal speech communicates more than what we actually say? 
When you think about the majority of your face-to-face communication with someone, the majority of that communication is the things that you do not say. It is revealed through your expressions or your tone of voice or your attitudes. And you can say the exact same thing, but in a different way or a different spirit, and now you've changed completely the meaning of it. Well, what, what did you mean when you said that? What did you mean when you said that? Completely a two different attitudes which communicate something different. So much of this comes out in our tone and our attitude. Am I my brother's keeper? It's a disrespectful attitude of Cain with God, which is representative of an entire civilization that would come from him. Now God's reply to him, what have you done? Verse 10. God informs Cain then that Abel's blood is crying out to him from the ground. I thought this was an interesting verse. It's it's really taken in such the same way that the blood of a martyr cries out to God in much of the same way that we, through prayer, cry out to God for help. And God hears the prayer of the righteous, but he hears also the cry of their blood. And he will answer. He rises up and he will come to the aid of the prayer of a righteous man. And he will come to the aid of the blood of martyrs. Now, verses 11 and 12, God curses Cain, and we're going to come back to that this afternoon, but I want us to move forward in this. After God curses Cain, he's going to, we come to the third way in which Cain's uh, character is the way of the world and the character of the seed of the serpent, and that is one of self-preservation and not genuine repentance. When God gives him his punishment. Then verse 13, it says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you've driven me out this day. And he goes on ranting about his punishment. Well, whoever finds me will kill me. Now, Cain does not accept God's punishment. He complains and he rants about it. He cries, unfair, unfair. He's implying here and inciting God for being unjust. Yet in the entire context, he forgets what he has done to Abel. And now he's more concerned about preservation of his own life. He didn't care about Abel in the same way that he desires for God to care about him. So consumed with himself, he could not see justice. His spirit was moved with self-preservation. And that's the difference between genuine repentance and repentance that is not. True repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of mind with a change of spirit, change of attitude. It, it leads a heart then to change its behavior. It doesn't go down the same path anymore. It owns it. It acknowledges it. It says the same thing that God says about it. But self-preservation is only concerned about keeping oneself out of trouble 
or only concerned with minimizing the effects of the consequences for his own sin. It's sorry for being caught. It's not sorry for what has been done. It's not concerned or motivated by God's glory or love for his neighbor's good, but it's wrapped up in himself. That's the way of Cain. And that's also the spirit of the world in which we live. Don't be surprised. We've lived in a sheltered country for a number of years. And we've lived in a way that we've had great freedom. And because the preservation of God's righteous here in this land has given us great blessings. But now the way of Cain is becoming so much manifest in our own country. It's a way of pride, place, and position. The way of Cain is a way of pride, place, and position. You're going to see it in every part of society. And in Cain's revolt, he becomes the father of a revolting civilization. What we see from this point forward in the passage now, after God deals with Cain, we're going to see what then the fruit of that comes out of Cain. And we're going to see that he was a father of the fallen civilization. It began in a single individual's heart and then grew into an entire rebellious civilization standing against God. And so we see from the posterity of Cain, he became the father of city builders that would then name their cities after themselves. He became the father of those who dwell in tents and keep animals. He became the father of musicians and artisans. And what we see here is every part of culture and society that it makes it up is fallen. And every part of culture that influences us goes the way of pride, place, and position. And we see from the beginning of this chapter to the end of it, the beginning of a civilization that is built upon pride, place, and position is the way of the world. And that's what God says through John. He says, do not love that way. Stay apart from it. Just know that all the entertainment of the world is going to be formative in this kind of character of pride, place, and position. Know that all of the politics are going to be operating on those principles. That's the way of the world. This is the reason for wars, pride, place, and position. This is the reason for divorces and, and marriages, pride, place, position. This is the reason for broken relationships in the church, pride, place, position. Fallen man is focused upon himself. And he will resort to murder, if necessary, to maintain his pride, his place, and his position. The revolting civilization began in the heart of one man. And the only way to undo the problem in the world today also begins in the heart of one single man. And then another. And then another. And then another. That is the only way 
that the problem, the real problem, will be addressed to reverse the curse. The solution is Christ. And that's why Christ leaves his church in the world, but they are not of the world. They were of the world. But they have been taken out of the world system, out of its character, and put in the kingdom of light. While left in the world, they no longer are of it. So that there will be salt and light so Christ can be seen, so that others can be plucked out of the world of darkness and put into his, the kingdom of his dear son. And unless man repents of his sins... And unless man has a substitute between himself and God's wrath, there is no hope. But the kingdom of God has come to this earth and is overturning the powers of darkness in this very way through the power of the gospel. Now hear me on this. We cannot engage the enemy in his own character or on his own turf. While we're left in the world, we're not of the world, and you cannot address the enemy by means of the flesh or of the world. We have to love those who hate. We have to bless those who curse. We are called to do good to those who despitefully use us. This is the character of Christ that will win the world. Now we are having the residue of these old world system of which we've come, we've got the residue in there, we've got some identity with that character, and we know the propensity that we would react to in the flesh when others come and hate us, when others come and do just injustice to us. We want to revolt and react that way, but Christ says, no, that is not how my kingdom works. That is not how the world will be won. As Jesus faces Pilate in this great climax of the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, he opened not his mouth. He goes voluntarily to a death he did not deserve in order to give his people eternal life that we don't deserve. He left, leaves glory in order to clothe us in it for all of eternity. We did not deserve it, and here he comes to overthrow the powers of darkness that we might come into the light. And he did not do this Satan's way. He was tempted at the first of his temptations, and Satan brings him up on the, the, the high hill, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, if you bow down to me, I'll give you these kingdoms. Jesus wanted those kingdoms. It was those kingdoms that Jesus was in, to inherit. Jesus owns those kingdoms today. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and his kingdom rules over all. Those were his, his kingdoms. But the way to get those kingdoms was not going to be Satan's way. He had to go through the cross and into his resurrection, and now he is the rightful king of all over the earth, and he has empowered his church to now take charge and take ground by his way. We are to love those who hate us. We are to do good to those who, who despise us. We are to bless those who curse us. We are to do this in the way of Christ and do not be ensnared into the vortex of Satan's way of doing things because our old flesh 
will want to do that. Confess, repent, seek God's forgiveness in the power of Christ, then stand for righteousness and live for him, and victory will come. Christ in your life and Christ in this world is the only hope that this world has. So may we be faithful and not follow in the way of Cain. Our gracious Father, as we learn now what makes up the character of this fallen world, a world who is under the deception and the sway of the wicked one, the one who has deceived them with many lies and lies in which they believe, Lord, we ask that you'd remove the blinders of the hearts of those who are deceived. May we take charge and be encouraged and emboldened with your spirit to speak the gospel openly and boldly, not fearing what man may think, but knowing that this is their only hope, that their heart must be changed and it must come out of its posture against God and submit themselves to your ways, knowing they can only approach you and have eternal life through that substitute that is between your wrath and them. Lord, we thank you for Jesus being that substitute for us. We thank you for his blood that was shed for us. We thank you for the royal garment of righteousness in which we are clothed. And we thank you that we are accepted in him. And we pray that this would be a boldness about us, that we would live this in the life of each other, in the life of this church, in the lives of our families and marriages, in the life of the world, that they could see that we are Christ's disciples because we love one another. And so draw all men to yourself. Save to the uttermost those who come to you by faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.